Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Minister John Richard, and this podcast is an account of this week's Bible study. I pray that it blesses and strengthens you in Jesus' name. If you are looking for more of the Word or are searching for the notes that were used in this week's lesson, please feel free to check the links in the description. Enjoy the Bible study and be blessed. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer simply saying thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to come before your throne of grace as a family and to learn just that much more about you. Lord, I ask that you would sit me, J.R., the man down, and that you, O sovereign Lord, would rise up big inside of me, proclaiming your word of truth, placing your words upon my lips. Father, have your way in this meeting tonight, Lord. Speak to our hearts as you always do and give us exactly what it is that we need. It's these things we thank you for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everyone. We have made it to yet again another Friday, but more importantly, another celebration. For we know that uh, this coming Monday, God willing, is Christmas Day, right? And Christmas, albeit a popular belief, is not a celebration of Santa Claus. It is a celebration of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It is about joy, literal joy to the world, as this Whitney Houston song just came out, because a once dying race, well, not race, but species of people were given an opportunity of redemption. The Lord himself decided that we were fit, not because of our actions, but simply because of love, that we were worthy in his eyes to be saved. And so he came down personally to make a way out of no way for you and for me by becoming the literal way for us. And I'm grateful for that. Um, Every Christmas um, that we've been having Bible study together, uh, the Lord through me gives me some unique way to bring forth Bible study for a Christmas lesson, because uh, every Christmas uh, you'll hear at any church some of the same scriptures being used again and again and again. And there's nothing wrong with that. I quite personally love it because they're the, it's the important thing about the season and Jesus's birth and the culmination of him dying on the cross and rising up again. It's the whole point of the Bible. All of it points back to him. So, of course, we're going to talk about him. But with us, we always have a beautiful little spin on things. And this year is no different. Uh, some scriptures, of course, you will be very familiar with because we've heard them all before around this time of year. But there are a few little shakeups here and there, and that's what we aim to do. Because the Bible is the living word of God. It's alive and well. If it doesn't speak to you, well, then maybe you should consider the fact that you're not alive just yet. But that's okay. Jesus has equal opportunity and this big old family of ours for everybody to come on in and get exactly what it is that they need. So since Christmas is Monday, but Bible study is today, we will be talking about our Christmas lesson tonight. And God willing, next week, I'll have something special for you to bring into the new year. But for Bible study tonight, let's put everything else aside. This lesson is called We Win a Christmas Special. Why is it called We Win? Well, I just told you. Jesus came down to save us, right? To redeem us, to give us a chance to actually live life. And without God, well, 
I mean, if he didn't die on the cross, then to give us an opportunity to keep going forward. Well, I'm pretty sure he would have wiped the slate clean in the Garden of Eden, but that's just my theory. But since he did die and he made a plan to do so in order to redeem us, we're here tonight praising his great name, thanking him that, you know, as uh, the Kirk Franklin song goes, one of my favorite Christmas songs, he is the reason for the season. It's not about Santa. It's not about us exchanging materialistic gifts to one another. It's about the sacrifice that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth and everything else in between. It's about the sacrifice that he decided to make, one that he didn't have to do, but he chose to do simply because he loves you. I'm pointing at you. And it's because of that great love that we should honor him, not just on Christmas, but every day. Because quite frankly, every day in your heart should feel like Christmas. It's a Every day that we breathe, that we rise up, it should be a joyous opportunity that God has blessed us to see a new part of his creation, that he's given us new opportunity to be there for one another, to not get so caught up in things. I mean, one of the scriptures in here that we'll touch upon tells us that the Lord came at the right time, that he died for us while we were yet still his enemies. So if God did that, for everyone, and everyone has done him wrong, surely we can take a little bit of that great example that he's given us to, you know, do the same for one another, right? The Bible tells us that's what's freely given unto us, we should freely give unto others. And it's not just about the love, it's about the forgiveness and everything else that God does for us. So I'm excited. I hope you are. Let's hop into some scripture here. First, we are going to take a look at and let me pull it up here for you revelation chapter 13 verses 1 through 8 and then we'll skip on over to chapter 3 verse 5 now this is a little bit different like i told you but that's the beauty of shaking things up because i have a point to make for you in order for you to understand we win you have to understand how we lost in the first place so the bible says then i saw a beast rising up out of the sea it had seven heads and ten horns, with ten crowns on its horns, and written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed, who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And then skipping down in uh, chapter three, verse five, Jesus himself here says, all who are victorious will be clothed in white. 
I will never erase their names from the book of life or in the King James Version, it says to blot out the name. But I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Well, 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 we start off with something magical here, right? Whenever you hear a Christmas lesson, you never hear anything about this. Well, I have some wonderful things to point out for you. And in order to do so, um, typically, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to bring back up the scripture for us to see because I want to point out some things, right? And because I have this up, you can follow my mouse, right? So let, let's check something out here. I want to point out a few things in this opening verse about Revelation 13. First, I want you to pay attention to the keywords. These are the things that the Lord allows to jump out at me that really makes me giddy because it's here for all of us to see. We just have to have the desire to want it from God, that deepness, right? Right here in verse three, it says that I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, right? Seemed. In the Bible, it tells us that the enemy masquerades as an angel of light. We know that the word masquerade means to disguise yourself. We've gone over this in a lesson before, I think either sometime last year or the year before. But when we talked about that word masquerade, and when we talk about the disguise, it looks almost like it belongs to the Lord, but there's something wrong with it, right? And see, the thing that that verse further said is that the enemy masquerades like an angel of light trying to deceive those who have already had the blindfold pulled over their eyes, right? Well, if you're blindfolded, you can't see all that well. So things that seem like they're right look right to you, right? You're catching my drift here. And but it was healed. So the thing about this is, is that because he's masquerading, he put on a show. Satan is no more than a glorified magician. Nothing he does is real. It's just meant to trick you. But see, here are some other things that really stuck out to me. And I talked about this with uh, with Granny not too long ago. And I think I mentioned this in Bible study recently. We go on, we look at the highlighted verse. It says, who is as great as the beast who is able to fight against him, right? This is strange because in the very next verse, it says, then the beast was allowed, right? It says he was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. Then it says he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for a set time frame, right? Then further down, it says the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people. And once again, that he was given authority to rule, right? Let me, let me just make something clear here. When we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the Lord on high, right? Does it ever say at any point in scripture that he was allowed to do something? I just, I really want us to ponder that question. For anybody throughout the years who would ever come back and listen to this lesson that may have not been a believer in the Lord already, right? They may have had some abstract uh, mindset about who God is and who's actually running things, right? 
See, the Bible tells us that we should not fear man who can only destroy the body, but that we should fear the Lord who can destroy the body and put the soul or the spirit in hell, right? Meaning that God is the one who is in charge of hell, right? When hell was put into place, it was put as a holding area for the enemy and the fallen angels, right? Meaning that Satan did not have a domain of his own to begin with, but that originally he was a citizen of heaven who lost citizenship and was given a new place to dwell in. But see, the thing about when we rent spaces is that we are not the owner. We are simply inhabitants and we have to abide by the rules given to us by the landlord. Right. So even though Satan is a, a, a dwelling person or a citizen of hell, we have to remember that that is not his. It's not his call. Right. He has no authority unless it is given to him. The Bible even further talks about this when <clears throat> the enemy was talking to the Lord and the Lord had recommended that he try his servant Job, right? That he could, he had the authority that he was allowed. He was given the right to mess with him, to uproot things, to cause bad things to happen. But he had a rule. He could not take his life, right? That's for God to do. And so we see that acting out in scripture in real time. Now we come back here. The beast seems great, right? He seems wonderful, but that's because a bunch of blind people are looking at something that they can barely see in the first place. Because in the book of Ezekiel and in Isaiah, it talks about the king of Tyre, right? And that at the end of that passage, speaking of the king, all the leaders of the nations of the world are looking at him and saying, is this the one that deceived us? Were we really fooled by him? And I could imagine it's a room full of strong people that are looking at someone who is the equivalent to this cap here. It's little, it's insignificant, it's frail. You can throw it at the wall as hard as you want to and you will do real damage. That's the enemy, right? But these people are fooled for the reason. But here is where the thing pops out to me right who has to allow him to do these things none other than god right if he's so great the the beast then why does he need to be allowed to do something god does not need to be allowed to do anything so now that we've already set this power balance in order let's continue to break this down at the end of this here passage, it says that all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, that very, 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 very important scripture sets the, the precedence for the remainder of this lesson. It says that the lamb slain from the foundation of the world Meaning, because in God's and <laughs> his and his omnipotence, his omniscience, um, all of the above, my my old words are slipping right now. But in his foreknowledge, right before he created anything, he knew that we, his prized creation, would turn against him. He knew it, but he also knew that in doing so. He would have an opportunity to show us in the best way possible how great his love is for us. Right. 
It's not that God created us out of a need to create. He is perfect, but that his love that overflows within the countenance of who he is said that we should make something to signify our great love, right? Because he's talking to himself. Whenever you talk to yourself, we speak like that as well. We speak in this third person uh, participle, I believe. And we do this because inside of you, you have your voice, right? That's your, your main going. We call that our conscience. And from there, we have these different segments of self that dictate the different emotions and aspects of how we feel, our reasoning, et cetera, so on and so forth. In doing so, it's like a meeting amongst the minds. Well, for God Almighty, there's the, the, the split in his being that we call the Trinity, making up the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been with me, we know that there is but one God, and his name is Jesus. That's the name he chose for himself. But just like us, he is a person who wears many hats. That's where we get it from. Now, I say all this to say to go back here that <clears throat> he already knew what was going to happen. So he made a plan in place once creation came to be to where it would be a constant reminder that, hey, I've always planned to save you. And here's the reminder. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world was always in the throne room with God to remind him that along the way, when he just wanted to X everything out, the flood being a great example, that no, I've already set a perfect work in place. And though they irk me, and I get it, I, I truly understand, Father. I have a plan that needs to be carried out. And because the Lord is a watcher and a keeper of his word, well, it's going to come to pass. With that, we skip on down to chapter three, verse five, something that granny pointed out to me years ago and has stuck with me ever since. And it says that all who are victorious will be clothed in white. Then Jesus himself is saying that I will never erase their names from the book of life or that I won't blot it out. We'll see chapter three, verse five is a direct parallel of 13, eight, right? 13, eight says that all who dwell in the earth worship the beast because their names have not been, have not been written in the book of life, right? But Jesus himself is saying that if we're victorious through him, that he won't blot our names out. Well, granny told me this one day, and I know it to be spiritual truth. It's that if a name is to be blotted out, that means it was already written down. And the way God works, because he's so wonderful, is that when he determined that he would become the sacrifice that he so desired in order to be obedient, right? Because he wasn't looking for sacrifices. Here, give me this. He wants the obedience from us because he already made an obedient sacrifice from the get go in order to be fair because he is a God of fairness and justness, he wrote everyone's name in there. And because we don't understand when we miss our window of opportunity to form a relationship with God and enter into his glorification and be saved and go through sanctification, everyone's name is written, right? But when we pass up the window, it gets blotted out because then God knows. We have several instances in the Bible. The most notable of which is where the Bible says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, why would he do that? Well, 
The Bible says that the Lord is a payer, a repayer of the hearts of men. He will pay everyone accordingly to that which is found in their heart, meaning he was just giving Pharaoh what he wanted. God, I don't want to serve you. You're not you're not the, the bird. You're not the sun. You're not this. You're not that. Like, I don't want to serve you. All right. That's cool. You got it. Here you go. Romans chapter one at the end of it. People don't want God. They invent new ways of sinning. So what does he do? He turns them over to the strong delusions. And here we are. Revelation chapter 13. People want to worship the beast because they don't want Jesus. And like God tells us in the canon of gospel, you can only serve one master, God or money, mammon, right? Because Satan uses money to trick so many people. You will love one, hate the other. You'll serve one, despise the other. You can only serve one. You cannot serve God and mammon or money, right? Well, in the same case, because that's Satan's number one tool to try to trick people, that instant gratification, because with God, it's a lot of hard work over here. There is nothing instant except you getting saved. The second you really believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you need a savior, well, you're saved. That's the only instant thing we have over here. Everything else, you're going to go through some things. It's not fun at times. It's not pretty. But let me tell you, nothing beats a bought lesson. And because Jesus already paid for all these lessons, he's feeding us through them, right? It may seem like the lesson took too long because it took three years. But trust me, that is the abridged version of what you would have gone through on your own and never got to the promise because Satan doesn't have one. Except to steal, kill, and destroy you. And God let us know that. But you see the vision now, right? Nothing the enemy has is real. Everything that he tries to sell you is fabrication. And all the power and authority that it seems like he has is just on loan from God to further make his point clear that we need him and we need him every second of every minute of every hour of every day point blank period but we win we already win because everybody who's victorious through christ jesus is clothed in white and our names get to stay put in the book matter of fact he puts a circle around them or a hedge of protection as a reminder that's my baby and that's how this works now let's move on we i've already broken down the most important thing for us here let's keep going we take a look now <clears throat> At Genesis chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, and Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, the Bible says, Then the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live, and I will put enmity or deep seated hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he we've already talked about jesus shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and then in romans chapter 5 when we were utterly helpless christ came at just the right time his perfect time and died for us sinners now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good but god 
showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners or his enemies. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, let me repeat that. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't do anything. But we have been made right with God by the blood of Jesus. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now, I literally already broke this down for you, right? So we're going to touch and go here. As you see, in the beginning, after creation was made and Satan has already hit that fall and now he is a citizen of hell instead of heaven because he has a very smooth brain. And if you don't know what I mean when I say that, the more protrusions or we'll just call them wrinkles, right? It's funny to say the more wrinkles that you have on your brain, that means the more intelligent you are, right? The wrinkles or protrusions or whatever it's anatomically called on the brain, the more information that brain can not only store, but can recall and use accordingly, aka wisdom, right? Knowledge and wisdom. But the smoother brain is, the more defects it has. It has learning disabilities. It can't retain information. Stuff goes in one ear and out the other. It's like pouring water in a bottle that doesn't have a bottom. Everything you put in falls out, right? Well, that's the kind of brain the enemy has because brother, you had it made and you blew it because what? You you want it to be worship? Like, bro, you led worship. Just do your job, right? But we're not going to talk about him. This is about Jesus. So. He comes in, he's deceiving the the woman, right? And it's not just Eve, Adam ate too. We're both to blame here. I know people like to do a blame of the sexes, but hey, humanity, we're we're dumb together, okay? We'll shake hands on our smooth brainness. And we messed up. God curses him, and but he makes a promise for us, right? That he would send a seed, and that that seed would bruise the head of the enemy. Though the enemy would nick his heel, a.k.a. the cross. But see, Satan is so smooth brain that he didn't realize is that the cross was Jesus's true end goal. You thought you were killing God, right? You can't kill spirit with physical means and spirit to spirit. I mean, brother, that's God almighty. You don't win that battle. You lost the second you tried to challenge him because you can't think right. You got kicked out of heaven. What makes you think you can be God? I mean, it's just a simple process of elimination here. But God makes the promise and say, yeah, I I give you a little bit of gratification, right? You'll nick the heel. You'll think the cross is your idea. But guess what? It's mine. In doing so, in dying upon the cross, your head is bruised. Why? Because the ultimate goal of yours was to take all of humanity to hell with you. But God's desire is that none should perish, but that all would be saved. Even though that's not the case, he has given out equal opportunity so that anybody who can listen to the word of God and hear it in their heart and their spirit, that tiny inkling of faith that God has placed in everybody's heart would be activated 
and that they would come to God and get saved because as the Bible says, faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from being, you know, taught the word of God. It's literally called the good news for that exact reason. But we get that, right? And then here's the beautiful thing. Christ came at the right time, right? While we were still his enemies, while he could have chosen to take us out, he said, no, I'm going to save him. And then it's proven to us in the same passage of scripture that we didn't get right in God's sight by something we could do, but that it was the blood of his son, Jesus, that made us right with him. Nothing we do, but all Jesus. When we wear Jesus, God sees that stamp of approval because we belong to his child, the obedient one, the one that did everything right, how we could have done it if we wouldn't have messed up. But, you know, he had to show us how to do it. And I thank God for that, because now when we do it, like Yo-Yo says, we proudly proclaim that bloodstained banner. Right. And I love wearing the name of Jesus because doing so sets me apart. It allows me to grow, to get over things, to put stuff in the past, to be better than the me that was here before he got saved, because greater is my God that lives in me than my smooth brained enemy who can't even process stuff properly. Like, I mean, come on now, but but we'll move on. God is very good. And now we're going to get into the, the, the truly beautiful part of this here Christmas season. We come back to our scriptures. We take a look at Isaiah chapter nine, two through seven and Isaiah seven, uh, 14. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light for those who live in a land of deep of deep darkness. Excuse me. A light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with the fairness and justness from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And in chapter 7, it says, All right, then, the Lord Himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, of course, for the sake of time, I did not put every single scripture relating to the Immaculate Conception in here because we'd be here. For a good while, there is a lot to say about the Lord, but I will abridge this for you a little bit. We are made this wonderful uh, foreshadow, right? The Lord has given the, the prophet Isaiah a vision of wonderful things to come. For just like <clears throat> the, the angel of the Lord was telling so many different people as Jesus was preparing to be born, and especially at the temple, um, the name of the person slips me, but there were two people, an old man and a and an older woman who got to meet the Lord. And, you know, I believe it was the older man who had said that I've 
I've got to see my savior, right? I got to see the, the one that the prophets of old have been waiting for to come for generations and generations and to throw in the extra uh, Simeon and Anna. Thank you so much, Aunt Bill. This is why I love you guys. So, you know, we get this wonderful foretelling of the future from the Lord himself through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, we skip a bunch of generations after David is uh, crowned king and chosen from the Lord to to be the anointed bloodline to get our savior here. And then when Jesus is about to be born, the king at the time is deathly afraid because it's like, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that a real king is about to be born? Because yes, buddy, you're not a real king. You're just here you know, perpetrating just like your father, the devil always does. And now that the real king is here, well, you got to make do. You got to you got to get out the way, buddy. When real royalty comes into the room, you have to bow, right? It's a sign of respect. Well, in the Lord's case, that knee better be on that ground because like the Bible tells us and like we have been gifted graciously by the Lord to do so willingly. I willingly bend my knee and proclaim that there is no other God but Jesus, that at that great name, Jesus, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he alone is Lord. I happily do that. I, I love it over here. The world sucked. It had nothing for me and it was miserable. Over here, I have joy, joy, which is not contingent upon things or circumstances. My happiness is a is a very temperamental thing. It can change at the drop of a dime, but my joy is eternal because God is the source of my joy and he is eternal. So I don't have any contingencies here. I'm just good because God is good. You see how that works? But when the Lord was born in that manger in swaddling cloth or rags, as we would call it in modern day uh, language, he had such a humbling birth. God Almighty, creators of the heaven and the earth, of the mitochondria, if we get scientific, he gave himself nothing haughty. He could have come down in a shining light, anything. He could have just did whatever he wanted to, but he came down humbly to show us what it means to be last when you're first, right? Jesus, as he was washing the feet of the disciples, said that the greatest among you should be the least among you. Or if we make that even plainer, that those of you that are in high position should lower yourself and serve others because the purpose of being in great responsibility, right, of having power, as we'll say, or having the, the leadership or responsibility, whatever it is, it's that we're here to serve those that we've been put in charge of. It's not the opposite way around, right? We're here to serve those that we've been placed in charge of, whether it be to keep preaching and teaching, right? To go visit the sick, to go help the widow, the orphan, right? You, that sounds familiar, right? Key words here. It's to do everything that God does, did, will do, etc. because we are an example of who he is. We're mirrors. We're supposed to reflect God. So for God Almighty to come down personally and to not be all pompous, clearly we should take a page out of his book, right? But that is a foretelling of the Immaculate Conception and the wonderful things to come. 
we've already seen in the beginning and beforehand that God has set us up from the very beginning before there was a start to time that we were going to win because he loves us like that, right? That in this beautiful season, we have everything that we have because God is good. He, he loves us. He blesses us. He protects us. He takes us through. We'll talk about that a lot more next week, God willing. But I, I thank him for the fact that he took this visage of what the world looks like, right? Of what we thought it should look like. And he threw it at the wall. He broke it completely that, as we'll see in a moment, <clears throat> when he hung his head and died on the cross, the temple, the veil in the temple, it tore in two to signify that the covenant had been fulfilled and that now we were entering into a new pact, a pact that he had told the disciples about, that his body would be a symbol of this new relationship that we would have with him or the new covenant. And that the blood would be the signifying stamp of approval, that it would seal the deal to make everything finalized, that, yes, it's through this process that you will now belong to me and I with you, that we will be one or come substantial, our favorite word <laughs> in our Bible study, that we would be one with God Almighty, that our spirits would be intertwined in such a special way that Paul would write about it and say, what manner of love is this, right? That God just, ew, we don't have words for it. And that nothing and all creation on the earth, above it, below it, anywhere else can separate us from his love because we're so tightly woven and knit to the vine because we are his branches that, yeah, Satan wishes, but yeah, it, it just, it's not going to work out for him. So moving on, one of my all-time favorite scriptures because of what it means for us, we take a look at Matthew 27, 45 through 46, and then John chapter 19, verses 26 through 30. It says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And then in John 19, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hesop, or a tiny branch, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, the thing I love so much... <laughs> about <clears throat> Matthew 27, 45 through 46, where Jesus says, Lama, uh, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I love it so much because the book of Matthew and the canon of gospel, uh, the book of Matthew stands for, you know, the, the promised seed and the, and the obedient servant, right? That's what the book of Matthew is about. And when we see Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
and allows for us to see the humanity in Jesus, right? Before he even got to the cross, the Bible says that he was in the garden praying and that he was so distressed that he sweat drops of blood, right? That's how distressed he was knowing what he was about to go through in the coming days. But even then, knowing he could have prayed like a like he told Peter, I could ask my father for legions of angels and would he not send them? But if I do that, then I can't get the work done. But he prays the best prayer in the Bible. Father, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. Because at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about God's will. We don't understand things that well. I need to reiterate that as we get ready to enter 2024. Our understanding is severely flawed. And the only reason we're able to retain scripture so well is because God is our vessel, right? He contains all of the knowledge that is poured inside of us and brings it back to our memory at the right time exactly when it is needed. Now, that does not just pertain to scripture, but everything that we would study and need to use in life because he's wonderful. Granny taught my Aunt Belva a, a prayer to pray before she would take tests in school. And both of them share that same prayer with me. And well, I, here I am. <laughs> Glory be to God. So God is good like that, right? But when we see the humanity, we can remember that, yes, this is relatable because Unlike these false gods out there that people love to call upon, my God truly does understand me, not just because he is, you know, all knowing, but he walked my he walked my mile for me. Right. He walked it all out so that I could have an opportunity to say, you know, hey, you're the example, right? You you did this. You understand. And it's with that that. You know, Hebrews, I believe it's in chapter 14, is so special that we have a great high priest who understands exactly what it is that we go through, right? And that when we go through things that start to tempt us or throw us off our game a little bit, he is praying for us constantly that when we go before him seeking wisdom, knowledge, guidance, whatever it is, that he not only has an understanding for our issues because he is all-knowing, but because he's been through it before, yet he did not sin. That's how good God is. And so I love it because it shows the humanity, but he stuck it out because at the same time, while Jesus is just 100% you and me, a person that is hurting, tired, stressed out, anxiety through the roof, but is still 100% God showing us that even through the hardest of situations that we can go through in life, we will get through it if we trust in the Lord because the Lord has never let us down, right? Jesus knew he was going to the cross to die, but he also knew that he was going to get up on that third day. Why? Well, Jesus said in the courtroom that no man has the power to take my life from me, but that only I have the power to put my life down and pick it back up again. That's the God that we serve. And what happened? He got on that cross and yes, they pierced him in the side. Yes, they put nails through his wrist, which would hurt. And they broke his leg so that he would hang more and it would hurt and force him to die sooner. And yes, they put a, a thorn, a crown of thorns on his head 
where 72 streams of blood came out pouring down. I mean, I'm pretty sure if that wasn't Jesus, then after a little bit, he would have died from a severe loss of blood, both from that, the wounds in his, in his uh, hands and his whole side being pierced where not only blood came out, but water. <laughs> I mean, you, God is so good, right? But he knew also that after all that turmoil where it got so dark that the darkness could be physically felt. Just thinking about that, I can't begin to process how that's possible, that you can feel like an abstract idea, basically. You can feel it, but that's what happened. But then he also knew he was going to get up again. That in doing so, after the work would be done, that he would be exactly back where he started, in the presence of the Father. And Jesus made a promise to us that when everything was said and done, that he would personally come back and get you and take you to where he is. That in his father's mansion, there are many houses and that in the time being where you're supposed to do your portion of the work that he has set aside for you, that he would prepare a place for you and that when the place is ready, your work, too, is done. And so when that time intersects with each other. He'll come back and get you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few. Now enter into the glory of the Lord. The chicken is over there to the right in case you wanted to know. That's the God we serve. I mean, we can't. He, he went through all of this knowing that all things were now accomplished. Took the sour wine and said it is finished because the work was done. <clears throat> now, before we get to our final passage of scripture here, what happens? Jesus is given up the ghost. His body is taken to the tomb. He is uh, transfigured behind the scenes. He goes down to hell, opens up the gates, open up ye everlasting gates. And the king of glory is here, right? You, you got to open up like this is God and no games to be played. He walks in hell, upsets the score, rewrites it from a hundred point lead to 81 and 0 perfect season wiped him completely never lost a game satan thought he won but he lost from the beginning and he set the captives free right <clears throat> everybody who had believed in god up until that point was in a holding cell and in that holding cell they were chilling right the, the hell was not meant for them they were just there because the firstborn of the dead hadn't come back yet right the second Adam hadn't set things back in order yet. But now that he's here and things are in order, well, I'm coming to fulfill the rest of my promise. Keeper of my word, right? I'm setting the captives free. Now they get to come on home with me in the place that I have prepared for them. They waited long enough. Now come on home. And what happens? He rises on the third day. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He is risen. We've gone over the diction here has risen, meaning that Jesus died, but is risen means that he didn't die in the conventional way that we understand his death. He simply changed uh, escapes, basically. Right. He is risen means that, yeah, his job in the flesh is done. Now he's doing the spirit work aspect behind the scenes. He'll be back. Just be patient. That's what is risen means. Jesus did not really die in the way that we view death, but that he just went to go finish the work in order to get it done. And now that it's done, well, here's the rest of the story. Jesus comes back. 
he has different encounters with the disciples and other people and all of that stuff is wonderful <clears throat> and before everything is said and done we get to see our last scripture in matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 jesus came and spoke to them them being the disciples saying that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth meaning that in my time uh outside of my physical body i went got the thing back that you sold out that i gave you in the first place but this time we're going to do things differently go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name it's one name y'all of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit finally and fully culminating that we're one there is no separation of power here. It's one God, one faith, one baptism, and it's all under me, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you or that I taught you. And lo, my favorite part of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Or until the end of the world, as the King James says. What's so special about this? Well, <laughs> Let me just reiterate how gangster God is, because as we've studied before that in the book of Revelation, Jesus says that this is from the one who is the yes and the amen. So Jesus does the, the coolest thing that we can possibly see, right? He's telling you to go forth with this, with this power that you sold out originally, but I got it back for you and I'm going to give it back to you, but through me this time, right? That way, there are no mistakes to be made. You can't misuse the power if I'm the one signing off on the release of of uh, of resources. Right. And he tells us to go forth in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is him. Because remember, it's all consubstantial around here. There is one God whose name is Jesus, who just works in many capacities. He is a jack of all trades, but a master of everything, because unlike us, he's God. He masters all of it. And that we're supposed to be the mirror and refract the reflection that we have. We're supposed to teach one another. To make a disciple is to equip a person with the tools that God has been so graciously generous in giving us to pass on so that they too can expand the family, right? That's what discipleship is about, expanding the family. You teach a man how to fish, you feed them for life, right? That's what discipleship is about. You teach a man how to pray, how to exalt the Lord. Well, you get to activate many faiths and where I can't reach the next person can. So by proxy, we're doing the work, right? And in doing so, Jesus tells us the beautiful thing there. And lo, I'm with you always, even into the end of the world. So let me re-edify here. The name of this lesson is we win, right? We won from the very beginning. There was no doubt about it. God always set forth in motion a plan in order to ensure our victory because he is victory. Everyone who loves the Lord has been given the power through Jesus to become the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Everybody, as the, as the gospel tells us, Matthew through John and then throughout the rest of the New Testament, that anyone who has an ear to listen or well, an ear to hear should listen. 
meaning don't let it just go in one ear and come out the other. Let it come in. I want you to sit with it, work with it, understand it, process it, and let God break it down for you. Because when you do that, you realize that you are good as long as you have Jesus. That whether you are abound on the up and up or based on the low, that you will always be exactly where you need to be because there is a God. His name is Jesus and he's made the way because he is the way. And that's what Christmas is all about. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer simply saying thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we have been gifted another year to celebrate another season about you, Father. For the whole year should revolve around you, but we set a time, this special point in history, to just give your name special praise because it was on this day that, as the Bible says, joy to the whole world and peace unto the earth because our Savior has been born. Father God, we thank you so much for your selfless sacrifice. And in doing so, giving us the perfect example on what a life led by you can be like, that though we are flawed and imperfect, that as long as we stick with you, Lord Jesus, we have an opportunity to get to that glorified state one day, that when everything is said and done here, that you will give us that promised body, which does not die, which does not age, which does not feel fear or hunger or pain, or anything else, that you will have wiped every single tear away, Lord, that you will have made us perfect and complete inside of you, that, Father, we could simply only say thank you, because without that eternity with you, I don't think we'd have enough time to even scratch the surface of how grateful we truly are. Lord, we love you, and I simply ask that this year and every year moving forward, that you would bless the hearts of all of those who call out to your name, and that you would remind them that as we approach the Christmas season, that though it is nothing inherently wrong with giving gifts to one another, that, that the greatest gift that a person can share with another out of true love is you, Lord. For when a person is given you, Father, they are set for life. Because whether they have the money to buy materialistic things or not, spiritually, they have all the wealth that they could ever hope for. That even if they never truly am amass things in this life, that the amount of treasure that they have waiting for them in heaven with you, Father, it can't even be imagined. It can't even be processed fully of the great stores of things that you have set aside for us, not just eternal life but the things that we earned for simply being obedient and made available to you. Father God, we love you. We thank you. And we'll be sure to give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory which you so rightly deserve. It's these things we thank you for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey family, I pray the lesson has blessed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. Each week, we hold Bible study on Zoom, and it would be wonderful to share this experience with you. If something was said that resonated with you and you aren't a part of the family, I would like to open the invitation to join. I pray that the Lord blesses you in all of your endeavors and that you chase after the prize, which is Jesus. See you next week, God willing, and be blessed.